One of the things that I want us to notice this morning is this picture that we have up here uh, that says what lies beneath this backdrop. And what you see is a big iceberg under the water, but on top of the iceberg, just a little, little part of that. And we're going to pay attention to that this morning because if I were to ask you what lies beneath what we see in you, it's a tough question because for many of us, the biggest part of that glacier would be uh, possibly anger, possibly what lies beneath if people really knew who we were is a possible addiction of some kind. Uh, what lies beneath is worldliness instead of godliness. Um, there's, there's a lot that can be said by looking at this picture. And so when we titled this message series, What Lies Beneath, we're going to talk about what people see, what is visible, and truly who we are. And what we're attempting to do is take us through this process of being worldly and the things of this world, which, by the way, are temporary, to a place over here where what lies beneath is holiness, godliness, and a trustworthiness that takes us on into the, the next life, the life everlasting. Because if you were to put this in eternal terms, then this is what it looks like, right? So eternity is what's under the water. And what's temporal is what's above the water. Life, James says it this way. He says, life is but a breath. Life is but a breath. But eternity, <laughs> let's talk about eternity. Eternity is what? It's forever. So what we do, what's amazing about this to me, is what's on top of the water is what will identify what's below. Now, right now, what's below sometimes is identifying what's on top. If, you, if you're living in sin, walking in sin, then what happens is uh, that's usually revealed somewhere up on top. But if you take this as, as an eternal picture here, then as we come to Christ, we really start getting a foundation. And in that foundation, it, it becomes bigger, it grows, and really what's on top is actually what's on bottom. And for eternity... We will, this little life that we have, whatever it is, 40 years, 50 years, 90 years, 110 years, whatever it is, uh, is just but a breath when you put it on the scope of eternity. And so what we do today ultimately affects what's beneath, and, and what's beneath should ultimately become who we are. Did I get everyone confused? Because I'm going to try to unwrap this in this message. <laughs> so there's a reason I, I think this is a very good picture of what we're talking about today. You've met people that are just incredible people that, for whatever reason, as they've encountered Jesus, they definitely walk through a process of becoming who they are. Not through just a prayer, they walk through a process, so discipleship is a process. We get frustrated. Uh, you've probably done things like this. All right, Lord, I'm going to give you six months to change my life. Otherwise, you just messed up when you created me, right? We tend to blame God. By the way, I'll be talking about that next week. I'll be talking about our blame game, our blame shame, all right? But this week, uh, so I don't get distracted, I want us to talk about this discipleship plan because what happens is there should be some type of before and after. So we encounter Jesus, and, and as we encounter Jesus and as we walk with Jesus, he's walking us to a place of being holy. The Lord said it this way. He said, be holy as what? I am holy. Be holy as I am holy. So walking towards holiness 
is, is a process known as sanctification. And so over the last two weeks, I've shown you what sanctification is. I've taken the glass of water and set it, set it there, and it's got its dirty water, and then you pour in the cleanliness into that cup, and eventually it does what? It pushes out the dirt in the water, and the water in the cup becomes clean. It becomes purified. And so listen, men, that's what sanctification is. Sanctification is the pouring in of God, which moves us over to a place of holiness, and so what, what really begins to lie deep within us eventually becomes the surface of us. Who and what lies deep within us becomes the surface within us. And when that surfaces, then look out, because that's where the Mother Teresas show up. That walk into leper colonies. That give their life for a purpose far beyond theirs. It's funny, because... Last night, probably about 5 o'clock, Lyle comes into my office, and Lyle's here this morning, and we sat in there and we talked for an hour, hour and 10 minutes, however long we were in there. And the whole conversation, the end of the conversation, this is how we ended it. We could have summarized an hour if Lyle and I weren't such talkers, right? That may be what lies beneath in us. But we could have summarized it this way. Um, the way to find life is to lose it. That's what Jesus said. He said, if... If you want to find life, then you've got to learn to lose it. Here's, he's given us a key to life, men. And the key is the greatest among you will be the what? The servant of all. The greatest among you will be the servant of all. We tend to serve ourselves, and as we serve ourselves, we become consumers. And as we consume, we can never feed an appetite that has no end to it. Sin is that way uh, when we talk about sanctification. Sin is an appetite that can never be filled. And so, uh, depending on addictions and other things, I, I, I never met an alcoholic who set out to be an alcoholic. That just, I've never met that person yet. I've never sat down with someone that said, man, I was going to be an alcoholic. Okay, I met one. <laughs> Thanks, Ron's back there raising that. I did it. Um, all right. Uh, good job, Ron. You accomplished something many have. No, I'm just teasing. So, in this, what happens? You drink one, and then it takes two and then it takes three, and then it takes ten, and then it takes ever how many, right? It wasn't intentional other than you participated in it, and it took more and more. Here's why, because sin has an appetite that can never be filled. And it tends to lead us away from what God's intentional plan and purpose is for our life. And so when Jesus says, go get them all saved, he didn't say that. Jesus said what? Go make disciples. So what Jesus is saying is discipleship is a process of walking with me, and as you walk with me, I'm going to sanctify. I am going to pour myself more and more into you and push out the things of you that are not of me. That's sanctification. And sanctification, I'll take you over into the Latin here in a minute and talk to, about, talk to you about how it pushes you to a place of being holy. It brings us to a place of being holy men. And holiness is important. You remember David. David says, who can lift up the hands in front of the Almighty God? Do you remember who, who that is? He says, let holy men lift their hands to the praises of God. And so I want you not to be discouraged. Don't, don't put God on a time limit, men. Don't say, I'm going to give you three months at Bravehearts to change my life. All right, and if you don't do it, God, you just messed up. Hey, 
Job was getting ready to respond to God, and God had something very serious to say to Job, and Job endured far more than any of us ever have. You'll hear more about that next week. Don't give up. It's a process. Take the steps. Walk the walk. And eventually, as you continue to walk, as you continue to seek, as you continue to grow, you know, Audie's a great friend of mine, but I think of everything Audie's involved in. (laughs) Audie said, I stay busy. I stay busy so that I can walk my life out right with the Lord. I mean, I don't know. You probably got a Bible study tonight. He's got another one tomorrow night. He's got another one next. I'm like, Audie, let's go shoot a deer or something, bro. Right? We got to go to these Bible studies and all this stuff going on. Well, a lot of that's just sanctification. Walking in the truth and allowing that truth to wash through us and within us. Let me talk about Jesus for just a minute. At the age of 12, Jesus was found in the temple. He was found in the temple listening and, by the way, teaching. It's interesting. Who would listen to a 12-year-old? At the age of 30, Jesus was baptized. He began a ministry. Many miracles, signs, and wonders began to take place, and that attracted the crowds to come and see Jesus. You probably know the Jesus story. And then... He was falsely accused, he was tried, he was beaten, he was stripped, he was crucified. On the third day, he was raised from the dead. So let me ask you a question, why? Why would Jesus do do that for us? I mean, if he's the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, men, which he is, that's who Jesus is, the lamb who was slain, why didn't God just choose an animal? Why did it have to be a man? Why did he have to walk? Did we, he have to endure the temptations and the struggles? Well, so that he, what, he can identify with each and every one of us. But did he do those things so that we could just warm a church pew on Sunday? <laughs> Look, so that we could make worship optional? So that we could live life as we choose? I was coming home uh, a couple of weeks ago from from Angel Fire, and since I was a little boy, every time we would drive to Red River, Angel Fire, any of that, I would always say, tell my parents, I'm going to have a ranch one day, and it's going to be right out here between Clayton and Springer, in the middle of nowhere, where the buffalo and antelope play, right? It's in that area of the world, and I always wanted to have that. I always had this dream, and my whole family would work on this ranch, and and I wouldn't have to deal with people. I knew that at it from a young age. But see, Jesus didn't die for that. Jesus didn't die so that I could live life as I choose. Let me go a little deeper than this. Every five years, I've got to go have my driver's license renewed here in the state of Texas. Right? It's funny to look at the change in my appearance after five years. It's like looking at a before and after picture. Okay, y'all aren't getting that. Let me give you another example. In the late 80s and early 90s, there was something known as the glamour shots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, some of you got them, right? Uh, So my sisters, great examples. Uh, My, uh, the girls in in our class, I remember, would put them on the front of their, uh, what were those binders called back then? Come on, guys. Trapper keeper, thank you, Oscar. You know what I'm talking about, the trapper keeper, and they would slip their pictures in the, the glamour shots. 
But here's what we knew about glamour shots. All of a sudden, you, you look at somebody and they, they, they got flat hair, they got squinty eyes, they got dull ears. But at the glamour shot, or after the glamour shot, they'd have these pictures of themselves with this big hair, you know, wearing that big front thing like this. And, and the big eyes, they had all kinds of bling on their ear. They had the pretty necklaces on. They were all dolled up. They had all kinds of makeup. They had painted the barn pretty well. So back to Jesus, let me ask you this question. Can you show me your before and after pictures? Because he should make a difference in your life that way. Do you have any before and after pictures? Maybe a B.C. and an A.D., right? Does Jesus make a difference in your life? See, Christ died that we might be free. However, that freedom was a freedom for kingdom life. And as we serve and as we live our life in kingdom life, men, it makes all the difference because that's where you live the abundant life. Abundant, another word for abundant life is this. It is fulfilled. Fulfilled. I tell young women this all the time. That is, uh, I tell them, hold out and wait for a godly man. Tell my daughters, wait for a godly man. Don't, don't get out there and play the field. You don't need to play the field. You don't need to figure it out. Just, just pray it up and wait for a godly man. Because here's what I know, that a godly man will know what it means for the fulfilled life, and a godly man will know what it means to serve his wife. I believe this, that unless you're called to be a priest and you're called to abstinence for the rest of your life and, and you don't have that type of temptation, then fine. Uh, however, if you're not called to that, that God will provide you with a woman, with a wife, with a spouse, because that was his intention. But his intention was for us never to take her for granted. To, to throw bad words and curse words and cussing at her and fill her up that way. No, God's will was that we would walk with Jesus through this process of sanctification, and we would have our wives by our hand, and we would walk through with them. And he would wash us, with the washing of the word. Ephesians what? Chapter 5. Okay? So last week we talked about sin. How sin gets in the way. And that to God, sin is basically in categories. We tend to define it in these little minute areas of our life. But if you think about sin, sin really comes to us in three categories. First John chapter 2. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. There are the three columns of sin left in the world today. It depends on what version of Scripture you read. This says the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes. But uh, I believe it's either King James, I can't remember which one. As a matter of fact, let me just look. It may be New American Standard. Yeah, New American Standard says it this way. says the lust... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Last week I took you through, Jesus was tempted in all three of these areas. And we too are tempted men in all three of these categories. Remember, the word love. Now, I talked about the three categories last week. I'm not going to come back to that, but I do want to talk about this word love real quick. He says this, do not love the world or anything in it. 
And when, G, or when John says those words, what the term he uses is agape. Agape love is the love that God gives us. Everybody understand that? There's eros, there's phileo, and there's agape found in Scripture. So agape is a God love. So this is what he's saying. Do not exchange the love that I give you the love that I love you with, the love that is underneath the surface, the love that's supposed to be, I am supposed to grow in you, do not exchange that for the lust of the world. Now I'm going to show you why. Watch this. Verse 17, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever, deals, whoever does the will of God remains forever. So right here he says the world is passing away with its desires. So this is what it tells me. Every passion is fleeting. Every affair is temporary. Every temptation is temporary. There's only one thing that lasts forever. Which is, let me say this, which is the salvation within us. For us. Now God lasts forever, I get it. You can go, the word of God lasts forever right matter of fact the scripture says the earth will pass away but the word of god will what it's it's always living it's always active and so that tells me that as we do a couple of things in our life that we can walk through this process and god will begin to sanctify us meaning that see we tend to go after the sin i i like this categorically speaking because here's what i know if you have an addiction of alcohol and uh, so that would be in probably the boastful pride part of it in that column. And so because this is what I know, eventually alcoholics, if they walk in it long enough, they don't even realize they become prideful. They feel that they're humble, but pride tends to take them over. Here's why, because they learn something. They learn that everybody walks on eggshells when I'm drinking. Everybody, everybody has, to, has to pay attention to what I'm doing. And over a period of years, it, it becomes somewhat narcissistic behavior. An alcoholic sometimes feel like, feels like that they're, um, they're the most humble people in the world. And, and look, I just drink because I'm defeated. I just can't get victory over this. But in, in, in a truthful way, they're saying, hey, I've got to consume this part during the, my time on this earth I mean I, I just have to consume something every day and people get used to functioning around them with this sin if you will now I'm just giving this as an example there are plenty of other examples now let's say that they're delivered from alcohol it doesn't mean that the temptation is going to completely go away if, if, the, if the column is still there in this world another temptation could come back around like tobacco so my example here is okay so we exchange one for the other now if you dip or chew that's okay because I do too I'm just teasing all right but but that's that's I have okay but not today but my point in in all of this is for us to see that the lustful uh, the, the lustful eyes it can still be there if you had an addiction to pornography, 
and you break that addiction from your phone, from the computer, or from magazines, or whatever it is, it doesn't mean that at some point in time that column won't swing back around and be in front of you. What it means is, as we walk with the Lord, that you can now walk through that temptation. That the Word of God will continue to dwell in you and rise up. It's like bread that rises, and your strength becomes that much stronger. And, and your eyes, the lustful pride of your eyes that would once see that, will now see this is someone's daughter. This is someone's most cherished possession. This is a beloved child of God. And even though the column swings around now and, and, and no longer is it a naked woman, it's just a beautiful woman that's standing before you, it's a great thing when you can say, wow, she's a child of God. And so am I. And continue to move. Even though the, the alcohol is gone, doesn't necessarily mean that, that the column's gone. The boastful pride of life, that there won't be temptation uh, for us to, to build our own kingdoms. Remember, Jesus was taken on the mount by the devil, and he said, all this I will give you. You can have all of it. Right? And, and Jesus was like, hmm, I don't think so. When Jesus comes back from the desert, you remember he'd been fasted for 40, fasting for 40 days, the first temptation that comes along. The same, hey, command this, this stone to become bread. Eat. And what does Jesus say? It's, it's written. The word of God lasts forever. It is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on the very, by every word. That's right. And so, so these columns are still out there, men. I just want you to hear me. They're still out there. You know this. We're living in the same world, right? It's tough. But remember that those desires, all right, the world is passing away. The desires will pass away as well. But the word of God that is in you is going to bring you onto a place of sanctification. And eventually, you're going to become strong, and what's underneath is what's going to be on top. It's what's going to rise to the surface. See, there's no filling like you think you beat something and it comes around again in another form, but it's still in the same category. Well, just continue to strengthen yourself. Recognize the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of, of life. The first step, I say this all the time, I think all of our staff could tell you this, the first step to responsibility is awareness. Where are my weak points in life? The first step in taking responsibility is awareness. When I'm aware that I'm weak in this area, then this is what I've, I've learned, that if I'm weak in that area, the best thing for me is what? Avoid it. <laughs> Thank you. Stay away. If I'm weak in this area, I need to stay away. And sometimes that's a difficult thing to do. But generally... It, just like you walk through sanctification on your, your way to holiness, what happens is we walk our way into temptation and into one of these columns. You're walking one way or the other. One leads, sin equals death. One leads to death and one leads to life. So recognize the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. Have an awareness, and as you have an awareness, then you'll begin to take responsibility. Eventually, it can no longer be sin that lies beneath. 
and holiness on the surface, but what changes the surface is what lies beneath. As we walk this process out, right, we are transformed from glory to glory, is what the scripture says. So sanctification, let's talk about sanctification. I'm going to wrap this up this morning. Sanctification comes from two Latin words. Sanctus, which means holy, and ficare, F-I-C-A-R-E, which means to make. So, sanctification is a process to make holy. To make holy. Of course, the word holy isn't too holy anymore. We say holy mackerel. We say holy cow. Holy buckets. Some say holy four-letter word. And holy's lost its holiness, right? But guys, we got to get back to that process of being made holy. So we must have knowledge of the word. This is my first point today. My, my first point in applying this to our life, we need to have knowledge of the word. The scripture says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is of little profit, but godliness is profitable in all things since it holds the promise for the present life and also the life to come. It does take discipline. Now, I'm not trying to get you to do something. I'm trying to get you to be something. That was always Jesus' intention. But it does take some effort on our behalf. If we confess with our mouth and believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, here's the thing. That takes an effort. It takes an effort to believe. It takes an effort to study to some degree. As we do that, as we pour God's word into us, his word is eternal, and that is a process of sanctification. If you are frustrated today, simply ask yourself a couple of questions. Do I take time to look in God's word and see how I am supposed to walk this out in my life? Men, let's just be real. Temptation hits all of us. Frustration hits all of us. There are days I do better in my walk than other days. But it shouldn't change who I am. And, and there, comes, there comes a point, I believe, in our own lives where we have to look at, are we disciplined with the spiritual disciplines of reading the Word, of praying, of fasting? Recently, I've taken the practice back up. You can't tell it other than I'm pretty agitated. My wife doesn't like me to fast. She says it's unholy, but just because of the way I act sometimes, right? But here's what the Scripture says. The Scripture says my people perish for the lack of knowledge. They perish because they try to live life. They try to walk out holiness without the things that I've given them, the tool of the Scriptures that I've given them. So they attempt to walk it out on their own. They try to figure out this path on their own. It's the difference between goat and sheeps. Sheeps. I wasn't an English major. It's the difference between goat and sheep. Both have shepherds. But sheep actually line up and follow the one that's in front. You know, they actually have uh, some dominance. Now, sheep are not smart. I've owned them. But it's, it's the parallel that Jesus uses as far as with him and his people. 
and sheep will follow and follow the shepherd and hear his voice and go straight to the voice one after another in line. The first one breaks the ground, the second one's behind it, the third one, the fourth, and they go like this. Goats, on the other hand, they hear the shepherd's voice call to them from the mountainside, and each one gets there on his own. There's not one that breaks the path for the rest of them. They simply tend to show up from all over. And generally, shepherds are missing one or two because the sheep can't or the goats can't figure out how do I get around this rock to get there? How do I do that? And, and it's kind of the difference. And this is what happens. My people perish for the lack of this. The scripture says, study and show thyself approved. And so there does take some effort to understand and to know his word so that we can hear the shepherd's voice and we can move through this process of sanctification. And as we do, we're not, this is the cool thing. We're no longer trying to sever those pieces off of us. I've got to stop. I've got to quit this. I've got to, I've got to just, just strength up. I've got to power up. No, as we walk with the Lord, what happens is he does strengthen us. And he does weed that out. And it's just like pouring that water into the cup. I'll talk more about the water next week because this is an incredible, there are some incredible correlations about God working with water in the Old Testament and then what he does in John chapter 4 with a woman at the well and still speaking of, of water and then moving that on even further in how he sprinkles us, if you will, Ezekiel, how he sprinkles us and we, we walk through this process of being made clean because holiness is a process of being made clean. So the first thing is, my people perish for the lack of knowledge. You may ask where that is in Scripture. Here you go. It says it in the book of Job. It says it in the book of Proverbs, two, three, five times. I found it twice yesterday. It, found, it says it in the book of Isaiah. Hosea says it. <laughs> All throughout, my people perish for the lack of what? Knowledge. You ever sit down with someone and they're telling you how to run your business and they've never been in your, they don't even know your business? You ever been that person? And you ever sat with that person and, and they're telling you, you ought to do this, this, and this. You ought to change this, this, and this. You ought to do this. And you're sitting there going, wow, you're smart. Maybe you need to jump in the business. I, it happens to preachers all the time. I'm very familiar with this conversation. Well, I think, and I'm like, yeah, well, here's, here's a cool thing. Go and preach the word. Become a preacher if that's what you're called to be. Everything looks different from the inside, right? I'm not trying to be smart about this. I'm trying to say we need more preachers. We need more pastors. We need the word of God going out. And you may be right by all means. And it's not the fact that I won't take counsel or that I won't listen. I'm just saying, hey, it happens in every position, every position. But here's what I know. God's already got it mapped out, and it's in his word. And he says, my people perish because they won't open it. They won't read it. They won't look at it. They won't walk with me through this. Oh, they hear my voice, but they're like goats. They just show up however they want. And many of them are scratched. Many of them are bruised. Many of them didn't have to go the long journey. They didn't have to go around the mountain twice if they would have just fallen in line as sheep and followed my word. The second thing I would say is this, that it takes to become holy. We'll end here. Is obedience. In my house, just like last night, we were having devotional, all six of us in there, and I'm teaching right now on, on the power of commitment. And in my house, <laughs> um, 
I love this about, I love to see children play. My littlest one, there, there is not a happier person in the world. If you know Hadley, Hadley is solid joy. She wakes up in the morning, she's singing. She comes in, I'm here. And you're like, well, good, Hadley, go brush your teeth. Let's get started. We got school this morning, right? But that's just Hadley. That's how, however, last night, Hadley is in her pajamas, and, and it's a nightgown, and she's got panties on, and she keeps walking on her hands, and her nightgown keeps falling over her head. And then her older sister, Emma, is the ornery, just so you know, and Emma will come up and just go, Pack! slap her right on the hind end. You know, stop it! And they're going, I'm trying to give a devotional. So I'm like, guys, I'm talking about commitment. Y'all sit down. Here's what we say in our household. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings consequences. We've had that saying ever since Wade was this big. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings consequences. The consequences that we receive as Christian men from God. Careful here. I'm about to make a statement that's very dangerous. The consequences that we receive from God are not necessarily how we perceive. The consequences we receive are generally brought upon ourselves for the poor decisions that we ourselves make. God didn't do this to you. You'll hear a little more of this next week. God did not do, you just simply disobeyed. And now there are consequences to the choices that you made. Obedience brings blessing. Romans 6.15. <laughs> By the way, you can read Romans uh, chapter 15. Uh, I didn't write. You guys know we've got to move here. Romans 6.15. What then shall we say? Sin, because we are not under law, but under grace. Okay, this is Paul's. Uh, he's speaking on grace, he's speaking on sin. Uh, as a matter of fact, the end of Romans chapter 5, uh, he's kind of in this processing mode by the, by the beginning of chapter 6, just to give you some history. He says, what shall I say then? Shall we go on sinning that, sin, that grace may increase? And then he goes, may it never be. Here's why, because we are to show the world something different than what it's currently seeing, right? We're not to, to, to say we're Christians and live the same way everybody else is, with the same vocabulary that everyone else has. That may be your first step in sanctification is asking God to sanctify your tongue. That's why I can't run cattle anymore. Thank God took them away from me. I've sinned too much. Anyway, Romans 6, 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace, under his ability? I mean, should we just continue sinning? And then he goes, may it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, meaning that if you submit yourselves to sin, that you, right, you're a slave of sin, resulting in death, or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. So if you are committed to a form of teaching, what does that mean? That means that you had to have learned. Learning takes effort, man. <laughs> All right, so that's what he's saying here. 
And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in what? Sanctification. When we surrender, when we submit, when we obey, when we are obedient to Christ. See, he's simply saying this, that it moves you on to sanctification. The process is happening. Romans 6.17 confirms that we've gotten on track with Paul in connecting obedience to sanctification. You hear me? Obedience connected to sanctification. So men, here we are. Every time you answer your wife in a loving voice instead of a criticizing or condemning voice, listen, it's a move towards sanctification. Ephesians chapter 5. By the washing of the word, we treat them as weaker vessels. I'll give you some very practical things here. Every time you return a kind word, every time you give an encouraging word, every time you share the love of Christ with someone, you are applying sanctification. It may take practice. <laughs> right? We like to be right. When Allison and I got married, I was right 100% of the time but it wasn't sanctifying to her. There's no sanctifying grace in that. Today we're different. Every time you serve someone, every time you help someone, every time you give drink to the thirsty, you clothe the naked, you give food to the hungry, you participate in sanctification. Sanctification. Good works, good deeds, walking a life of obedience to Christ is the process of, of sanctification so you have four questions and I know some of you will have to go you got to get to work you may not make it through the questions that's fine that's fine but if you have time to sit at the tables and listen to some of the experts at your tables listen how this pans out if you if you had a before and after picture with you today would anyone know which one is which <laughs> right I mean before Christ and after Christ Name someone who is obedient to God's Spirit in your life. That you know they're just simply obedient. This is how they walk. This is who they are. And the reason I do this, because, and you'll hear this two weeks from now, that we don't walk this alone. Sanctification and holiness is a process of togetherness. You'll get that here in a couple weeks, but I'm just kind of sharing this. I, that's why I'm trying to peel you off to look at somebody who's doing it before you, just like the sheep. This is how you get up the mountain, folks right what characteristics do they have and what is one thing that would be sanctifying that you could do today i like to leave you here with saying okay <laughs> jesus says love my wife as christ loved the church this will be the first day i've ever done that i don't know if i can do it tomorrow but it's okay you only have today anyway right today is the day of salvation so let's let's work on those let i'll close this with a word of prayer and then you guys can get started father god i thank you for these men Father, uh, lots of information this morning. God, help me to be concise, uh, to get us through to where, um, Father, what needs to be said and what needs to be heard are those things. Move us along in your process of sanctification. Help us not to get frustrated, Lord. If we do have addictions, if we do have problems, if we are struggling in areas, Father, that's not new to you. It's, it's, there's nothing new under the sun. 
So I'm not here to condemn. I'm not here to pick on if there's an alcoholic or if there's a sex addict or if there's a, uh, Lord, it could be simply that boastful pride of life, the narcissist or whatever it is, God. We, we've all seen the categories and probably walked through all three of them at some time in our life. But Father, remind us that that's what we are called to do, to walk through them by the washing of your word by the things that are of eternal, are eternal. And uh, Lord, uh, lead us into holiness. In Jesus' name, amen.